Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for March 12th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Kevin Walsh. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we will talk about the unfortunate news that's come down regarding the Pittsburgh Penguins. They will be losing superstar Evgeny Malkin for six to eight weeks, which takes him about to the end of round one or round two of the playoffs, assuming that Pittsburgh can even gain entry. We'll talk about the teams that benefit from that in the Eastern Conference and kind of how things will shake out for the Penguins. And we'll, you know, go off and talk about whatever else we kind (laughs) of stumble upon as we go. But before we get to that, uh, Cameron has some words. Uh, We have our our first uh, $5 pledge from Patreon. So thanks to all of you who who have uh, added to the the collection of people helping us uh, bring us along. So... Aaron Strayer, um, I'd like to thank you for your, your $5 pledge uh, per month, which is great. Um, it's all there on the Hockey Hurts uh, Patreon page, which you can find at, at patreon.com backslash Hockey Hurts. We've got a link to there from the Hockey Hurts homepage and also inside of every um, podcast on the website. Um, from now on, there'll be a, a link to the Patreon page, so you can certainly help contribute um, to this and, and help contribute to the content. Certainly not necessary, but much appreciated. Very much so. So, with all that said, yeah, Gino's out. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> Sucks, but, you know, it wasn't a dirty play. It wasn't... That's, that's the thing that's really kind of funny about the entire game. There were so many plays where you get there and look at it and go... Geez, that could have been, that could have been, that could have been. The one sort of hockey play that happened with Dalton Prout was the thing that got Geno hurt. It was just, it was just an amusing game to watch because Pittsburgh did well to get out of there with just the one injury. It's just that it was to their second best, best player on the team, so it makes things tough. Or best on any given day. True. Well, yeah. Flip a coin. Yeah, this is very problematic because. You know, you can't, it's not next guy up. You're not replacing a top five player in the world. You're just not going to. Fortunately for Pittsburgh, they happen to have another top five player in the world on their team, which is very nice. But yes. when you have aspirations of going all the way, these are the kind of road bumps or that, that just, you can't really have. No, look, it's, it's one of those things where, um, it always this this is really going to suck, but it's going to come down to Fleury playing at the start of the. He's going to have to bookend his this season with his play. What he gave the Penguins at the start of the year is what he's going to have to give them at the end of the year. Like they're in that middle there limbo now, where finishing ninth gets them nowhere, and they're not bad enough that they're going to be able to tank out and get into that bottom five sort of pick region. I, I haven't heard that this particular draft is is ridiculously deep. They've traded away a couple of assets to bring some guys in specifically for, for this year. They just have to ride it out hard. It'll be interesting to see whether Mike Sullivan changes the way he wants the team to play or whether he sticks with what he was doing because it did work while Juno wasn't there. Yes, the power play sucked, but the five-on-five play for the team was still pretty good. So they could get into the playoffs without Juno. Whether or not they'd win that first round without him, two very different things, but... This will be fascinating to see how much he believes in his processes, I think. Yeah, and just to piggyback off your your point of ninth gets them nowhere, I know some people are like, oh, well, just don't make the playoffs so they can keep their first-round pick. And it's like, well, 
you know, it's not going to be a great first round pick unless you're really holding out hope you can 2% land Austin Matthews, and that's just absurd. You know, yeah, but if it's Pittsburgh, rig central. Yeah. Um, it, you know, they, they got to make the playoffs. Um, because for one, they're a cap ceiling team. The playoff gate money's a, a real important thing. It, and, it, that's the, it's the reality. They have to uh, for, for for that in regard, particularly for an ownership group that wants to sell. Um, anything you can do to improve the books uh, upon sale point and getting them more money back is important to the owners. It might not be high on the hockey side of things, but the business side of things, it certainly is. So, you talked about process when Gino was out. And I actually looked up the numbers from when he was out. So he missed February 3rd to February 26th. During that time frame, Pittsburgh score adjusted Fenwick 52.9%, which is very good. It was actually fourth overall in the NHL during that time frame. So Gino being out really puts a damper on things. However, it is not impossible for Pittsburgh to still make the playoffs. They still were able to drive play without Evgeny Malkin. Like you said, the power play, yeah, not great. They were about 5% without him, which is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> which, that's not going to fly. However... You, you, can we just stick with that for, for one second? That power play looks so much better when Sid's off the half wall. I don't care where else you put him, right? But it just looks better with him off the half wall. Now... Is that a criticism of Sid? Because the power play runs so poorly when it goes through him, whereas when it runs through Gino, it seems to run a lot better. And maybe literally just because Gino has that threat of that massive slap shot that everyone, you know, just humanly respects, as opposed to Crosby, who doesn't have that slapper. Like, it, that power play, when Sid's been out and Gino's been running it from the half wall, has still been good. It, it's, the, it's the one thing that absolutely baffles the hell out of me. It's like you can't run the power play from the goal line, and we know Sid is brilliant down on the goal line, right? So if if it ever gets to the point where it's the reverse, and it is Gina, I, I want to – I say this going, I don't really want Sid to get injured, but I'd love to see the power, power play run without Sid in it and see whether it is Sid on the half wall that's the problem or whether it's just the fact that Malkin's out and that's the problem. Do you know what I mean? Well, Malkin's a lot in the entry game. But Sid can gain the zone. Yeah, but that's that's a real specialty for Gino. It is, but the thing is, though, when they get control, like when they get control and the puck comes off the face-off from the, the offensive zone draw, when Gino's out there, they look fantastic. When Gino's not, they look terrible. And Sid's still out there on the ice. So well, my question is... Your other forwards are Kunitz and Hornquist. Yeah, but you still have... It's like Sid doesn't use... The, the, the Latang-Gino dynamic of the pass backwards and forwards, and now that Latang's actually taking that three-quarter half slapper and hitting the net and getting him in, teams are starting to respect that shot. So they have to draw to him, which creates lanes elsewhere. It seems as though because Sid's reluctant to be a shoot first on the power play, it doesn't seem to work as well. That, that's all. It's just it's one of those things I, I, find, I find baffling that, yes, they have different skill sets, but the shoot-first mentality of the power play disappears when Gino's not on there, and I think that's one of the reasons why they struggle so much. No, I can't really argue against that. I mean, 
Gino has one of the best power play shots in the league. Obviously, yeah. Ovechkin being the best, but I think you could say Gino is right in that. Ovechkin's on his own tier. And then there's everyone else, and then there's everybody else after that second group. And I think Malkin's in that re- that that next group after Ovechkin. And th- and that's the thing, Sid's not in that next group. No. And I think maybe yeah. that's all the difference is. Maybe that is all it is. It's that 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 thread of that particular shot that's the problem, and and that's why it, it doesn't run as well. As, as soon as Sid has to come up onto that half wall, and he's supposed to be launching that shot, and he doesn't. Well, here are some things that are a little bit different with this Malkin injury as opposed to the last one. Penguins have some personnel that is a little bit different. Justin Schultz is going to get a look on the first power play, I think. I think that's a, that's something that he is capable of. So mm-hmm. him and Latang will man the points. So now you got uh, two puck-skilled D-men up top with Sid and then probably with the two grinders. Uh, Kunitz and Hornquist is what they were going with today. I personally would still have Kessel out there on that other side. you got to find a way to make it work. Uh, stop feeding him one-timers and maybe let him run the half wall and curl off of that and let Sid be the opposite end guy. Yeah, but then you're, ask, then you're asking the, the whole power play to rotate to the other side of the ice okay, and run good. from the other side of the ice. You, you, you'd have four righties out there. And Sid's the only lefty, isn't he? In in this scenario, yes. Yeah. Or well, you could put Kunitz to have him or you to... put Kunitz for Hornquist, something like that. I mean, it's a, you know. Put it this way. They've at least got options. They're not stuck with, you know, seven guys that they're trying to put into five spots. They've at least got seven or eight options that they can actually rotate around. But it would take a ballsy coach to go, let's not run the power play through, sit on the half wall on the right-hand side of the ice. Let's run it through the left-hand side of the ice with the right-hander. But I think that would work because Sid can at least put a one-timer in. It's, it's, it's been proven time and time again this year that for whatever reason, whether it's Kessel's stick or it's just a skill set that he just does not have, putting in those one-timers on those cross-ice feeds, he just can't do it. They need to find another way to utilize Kessel's other talents because that slap shot one-timer is not happening. No, and since we talked about that last podcast, I researched and, and wrote the the article that I did yeah it was brilliant he's below seventy flex Jesus so I don't even know what that means all I know is that it means it's a whippy stick so it's like he's playing it's like he's playing with a noodle I mean I I like a hundred I'm not a professional player by any stretch but like that's such a significant I, I'm using an eighty five right now and I really don't like it the puck seems to jump off my stick more often it doesn't deaden the puck. Um, you know, hearing all of this explains some of his wall play. When you oh, hear yeah, when you lean into things. When you're in a board battle and you're leaning on the guy and you're rocking a 70 or below flex, you're not going to win that battle if the other guy's just as strong as you and has a stiffer flex. So I wonder, and, and you, you made a really good point in the article, in that, like, you don't, you're a coach, you don't tell your players what they do with their equipment. Everyone has their own feel and all that sort of stuff. But at what point, if you're the organization, do you sit there and go, you're our asset, we think changing equipment would... Because they waited too long to try and help Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's definitely improved since they changed his goalie coach, right? So how long do you sit on this with Kessel? Do you get to the end of the year and go, that's it, you've got to go find different flexes? (sighs) 
you like like I like you mentioned yeah. like I said I I don't like telling players no. what to do in that regard because everybody has their preferences but when you break down pros and cons of of what a flex stiffer versus more flexible can do for you the only pro I see with that that whippy um, stick is is a shot but for him it's really only a snapshot. Brett Hall supposedly used to use a 65 flex stick, which I don't know how truthful that is, considering they were wooden back in the day. I don't know if there were wood sticks that could even do that. But, okay, let's roll with it, say it's true. Okay, that's (laughs) that's fine. Brett Hall was able to do it, though, and execute it consistently, whereas um, Phil Kessel, this is not something he's doing consistently well. No, so, no, yeah, right. some people may be able to. I'm arguing that in this particular instance, this player is not able to, and maybe, just maybe, I mean, can we meet halfway, get up to 85 and see how that works? Because he's not, it's not like he's pouring in snapshot goals either. No, but he's not really, yeah. And and quite no, frankly, yeah. you, you see the bobbling of passes, not just on one-timer shots, but you see the puck jumping off a stick in a lot of different situations. And I do truly believe if you're really at that 70 or below level, I mean, I, I, I'm experiencing it at 85. And the only reason I'm at 85 is because I fell into some AHL pro stock sticks at a, let's just call it a a proper price point. So (laughs) (laughs) beggars can't be choosers. So I'm, I, I'm actually using a Joel Armia, stick from the, his Rochester American days and uh, and a Patrick Coletta one, <laughs> which his curve sucks. I hate that thing. <laughs> but again, the price was right. But but it's jumping off and I just, I'm just going to have to buck up and go back to my 100. <laughs> so, so after having that massive diversion from what you were saying, you were actually trying to make a point in regards to the Penguins Holding play, power play was the problem. So if we go back to there, what were you going to attempt to say? Well, I think Schultz is good at the power play. That was one of the few things in Edmonton I think most people would be like, yeah, he was he was okay there. Everything else was like, oh, Jesus, he, this guy's terrible. And that may have been circumstantial being on a bad Oilers team and confidence and all that stuff, but power play seems to be a thing that will always be okay for him. Yep. Put Latang back up there. You got Crosby. I'd keep Kessel, like I said. Put it this way: even the Arizona Coyotes score a few power play goals. Every team does. So Gino being out is not an excuse to go five percent. So Sorry, true. some other things that have changed since the last uh, Malkin injury. Eric Fair's back. Nick Medino's back. Bo Bennett is practicing. Uh, Maybe going to be back. <laughs> Uh, Scott Wilson is uh, improved. Brian, What's the under-under on Bennett getting to the end of the year? I don't know. I mean, all I know is that he's um, a good forward for them when he's healthy. It's never He's never healthy. <laughs> I mean, what else is yep. there to say about that one? But There's he's not much else you can, yeah. He's on pace to return. Um, so if he's in the lineup, that's that's a change from the last time Malkin was out. And Brian Rust is starting to do um, – his speed's translating to some things on the ice, not maybe tangible offense just yet, but he kind of reminds me of a taller, faster Tyler Kennedy because there's not too many shots he 
doesn't like. A little bit of tunnel vision at times. That's very true. Um, yeah, I have to, I have to admit, I, I think I said this previously, I like the way this team looks like it's going to fill out with a healthy roster. It was always about the last 10 games and being healthy, and it looks as though they're not going to get that luxury. They're going to be one man down, and this happens to be Juno Malcolm that's the, the one man down. So that's pretty, pretty important that uh, they get that right. But this gives them no wiggle room now to get there and consider putting a, a Schultz pulley up lineup out there to the bottom pairing, and it frustrates me. I don't know why that can't happen. People say oh, like do. it's going to be... They don't trust the two of them. You, you would put them in a sheltered role. You would make sure that they have minutes that they can handle and see if they succeed. If they do, you could slowly and progressively give them slightly tougher assignments. And if they fail deplorably on those tougher assignments, then you go and make the change. But you've got consistently pushing the play forward, not being in his own zone, actually having good shots against, and you can sit there and go... You don't know that you're committed to it, that you've got more potential than the other guy that you're sitting for no other reason than, oh, he might be a defensive liability. Well, here's the thing. It's all that, it's that whole perception thing. Oh, he's younger. Oh, he can't make mistakes. He's got to learn. And it's like, well, as I wrote the other day about Pouliot, he's leading the team in Corsi for per 60 as a defenseman. He's leading the team in Corsi against per 60 for defensemen. He's leading in scoring chances for. He's leading in scoring chances against. So, and he's at 1.21 points per 60 uh, at 5 on 5, and Chris Letang is 1.22, and he's having a monstrous year. So let's stop pretending like he's not capable and able and just put him in the damn lineup and then rotate the the right defenseman on that bottom pairing. And if Schultz is one of the guy there, good. If it's Cole, whatever. Lovejoy, whatever. Pouliot shouldn't be coming out of the lineup anymore. I don't know why he's lost. I don't know what he did to lose all this rope. Do you know, like he's got no rope whatsoever. And every, every coach has players that they give more rope to and less rope to us and stuff. But I have no idea what he did in Wilkesbury to piss Sullivan off that he's the guy that gets sat. I don't get it. Furthermore, Malkin's out, right? Yeah. What is Malkin's specialty? Uh, scoring? Well, off you know, offense. So instead of the Penguins doing what Mike Johnston did at the beginning of the year and uh, try to cover up maybe what he perceived to be shortcomings skill-wise and and play that shutdown, let's try to prevent. Pittsburgh should be putting guys like Pouliot and Schultz in the lineup just and saying, screw it, we're going to try and still outscore teams and we're going to put the players that have the most offensive ability to try and do that and just live with whatever potential defensive shortcomings there are because – you know, you lost a big cog in Malkin. You're not replacing that offense, but you might as well maximize the personnel to try and make up for it. And rely on the fact that you've got a goaltender that you trust and rely on. Like, that's what they keep telling us. If they trust it, and want to rely on Fleury and Murray, for that matter, actually, when you think about it, um, let, them, let them tend the goal. Don't collapse down on them. Don't make it hard for them to see shots. Run and gun it. Fleury's athletic enough. Um, that he he might get a little bit skittish uh, because he'll have to be a little bit more mobile than he has been in the last last 12 months. But I, I, 
being not trying not to lose. And, and the other way to do that would be to explode, expose fluid to more left and right, right to left. So, and, and you only do that by, by being aggressive. No, agreed. I mean, you, you pay the goalie big money, they have to earn earn that money these days. Otherwise, just, you know, go cheap at that position. So, yeah. can't, be, can't be scared there. Uh, Fleury started the year great. He's um, still okay, but he's not quite where he was at the beginning of the year. No, but at the beginning of the year, I think we all said he won't stay that way. No, and it was wasn't fair to way expect too much. That. It wasn't fair. No, and, and so... It's probably unfair to ask him for the last 15 or 16 games of the year to pump it back up to that level, but they're either going to have to keep scoring at the rate they are and his numbers are just going to have to go up to keep the score against down, or they're going to have to drop to make sure his goals against is better than the goals for another win. So it's an interesting... It's an interesting dichotomy for the coaching staff in regards to the attitude they take into what they're going to play. Okay, so that's Pittsburgh. Who stands to gain with the Malkin injury in the Eastern Conference right now? Um, well, I just said Carolina, but then before the podcast, you made a very good point that they've played a lot of games. <laughs> So, so Philadelphia would be the the next the next point of call, I suppose. Oh, and Toronto. Oh, no, Toronto lose out if they don't. Make, oh, I can't remember. Toronto would get the uh, first round pick if Pittsburgh makes the playoffs. Yeah, so, so Toronto miss out, right? So it's definitely Philadelphia. Yeah, the Flyers um, seven two and one in their last ten games. But Pittsburgh is six and four in their last ten games. So really, you're talking a three point swing. Even though the Flyers are playing great hockey, it's very tough to make up points in this league with the the three point games. You get to overtime and that nonsense. So what Philadelphia has going for them is they have three games against the Penguins. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's. That's probably going to be pivotal in regards to which one of the the two Pennsylvania teams make it. If Philadelphia come out of that three and O, um, they have every right to, to to go to the playoffs. Really, when you you think about it, if Pittsburgh do the same thing, vice versa. If it's split down the middle, then because I don't don't Philly and Pittsburgh play the last game of the year. Um, maybe. They and look there's. Far ahead. there <laughs> Game by game, week by week. <laughs> uh, um, there's a very good chance that those three games... I mean, Pittsburgh play almost every game the rest of the way against their own division, so it's in their hands. So if this team can hold together, that's great. But if they can't, Philadelphia can frog stomp them and jump right over the top. Yeah, and one of the coolest things that I think for Philly is uh, Shane Gostisbehere. And the things that he's done so far this year, he set the, was it the rookie scoring streak? I think so, yeah. 14 games or something in a row with a point, which is, you know, just ridiculously outstanding. He's been tremendous for them. Uh, They've been searching for skilled demon for, for what it seems forever. And, you know, they gave Shea Weber that offer sheet that Nashville matched and, in hindsight, that, that may have been the, the best thing that ever happened to them. Maybe. And then 
it, it's amazing how um, put in the put in a um, encouraging uh, environment how good a young defenseman can be. I mean, you have a look at at Klingberg, who was given sort of free reign to to be who he is. Coaches have got to understand players get to this level who they are because they're good at whatever it is they do. Trying to change them into something they're not by this point of their career, like at 18, it's you can smooth off the rough edges, but you very rarely do you ever see a coach turn a lump of coal into in, into a diamond. It's just you know what I mean. Yeah. So the Flyers have underrated goaltending as well. Steve Mason was brutal in Columbus for much of his term there. Since coming to the Flyers, he's actually been one of the better goalies in the NHL, depending on what metrics you like to use. So they also have Neuverth, a very um, capable second option. So they're getting some nice contributions from younger players, and they have solid goaltending, so... They could sneak in over Pittsburgh for sure. Yeah, and it would be, it would just be brilliant for the rivalry that those two teams have, and it just adds another layer to it. Yet again, uh, Detroit, I think, is another team that has got to be a little bit relieved to see Malkin go down because it seems every day Detroit and Pittsburgh switch who flip flops back into the top wild card spot. And I thought before, you know, the news today that Pittsburgh would finish ahead of Detroit and then it would be Detroit battling it out with Philadelphia. But uh, I think I don't think Detroit will be in that saga anymore. So with, with you sort of saying that, do you think it's going to be Pittsburgh are just going to fall off, like just not accumulate enough points here? For, for Philadelphia to jump them, or do you not think the Flyers could, in theory, jump both and have Pittsburgh have to fight Detroit? I suppose any team could go on a crazy run, like if, if the Flyers went off and, and just started winning all the time. But I, I, I don't think Pittsburgh's going to like completely fall off a table. Like we said at the uh, beginning of the podcast, they're the fourth-best possession team in hockey during Malkin's last stretch being out. So I think I think for me for for that to change for Pittsburgh in regards to shooting the puck a lot but not getting it in those uh, other players around the roster that have been contributing to possession but not so much getting the puck to go in they might need to have one of those you know ten or twelve game hot streaks where their shooting percentage is up around about twenty five percent as opposed to the five or six that they're currently shooting at the moment because you see guys like Scott Wilson. Um, but Nick Benino could probably do with putting a couple of pucks in the net. Same with Eric Fair. Um, those sorts of guys need to help carry the load because, you know, Crosby's been scoring, Hornquist has, Kunitz has. Okay, so, apologies. Um, we are having some technical difficulties recording this podcast in fact we've yeah we we we're a team here uh we we've tried to uh i think we're up to like five different skype calls for the, for this podcast and, and the connection is just not 
Wait, it's wait. just not working for us tonight. So basically, um, apologies for that. Uh, I think we have like 25 minutes of content already recorded for this podcast. Uh, we got to cover the, the big Malkin injury. So I think instead of trying to force all the listeners uh, to, to hear Robot Walshie, um, we're going to cut this one a little bit shorter than usual and try to get back on the horse as soon as possible. So... Um, much appreciated. Um, thank you for your patience. So, um, you know, we'll straighten this stuff out and we'll be uh, back better than ever. So uh, thank you, and we'll see you next time.